two, one. Welcome everyone. Welcome to the Industry 4.0 live stream. Uh, we're going live a little bit early today. Uh, normally we are live here every Tuesday at noon central. So you're going to want to hit that blue like button. Make sure to turn that like button blue or white, depending on which phone you're on. And also subscribe. Uh, so if you guys are watching this after the fact, we do put timestamps in the in the description box below, as well as in the first comment in the comment section. So you guys can jump ahead. We're not going to be answering any questions until, you know, the top of the hour when we are planning to go live. But we've already got a handful of people in here live. Welcome, Mike, Michael Daldell, Rafi. Welcome. Hey, Mike Taylor. So good to see you all. Thank you all for joining. Uh, so I do want to let's, make. Yeah, quick... let's just let's just shoot the shit, man. Yeah. For well, I do want to I do want to remind everyone about Mastermind, which is this Friday. Well, so no, we'll do it. I'll do that. Let's just shoot the shit with these guys. Let's right. just, you know what I mean? I, I said to these guys, hey, let's just jump on earlier. There's already like 12 people on there. Let's, you know, let's just jump in and say hi to everybody. Um, so, so let us know where yeah, you guys totally, are joining totally from. Totally informal. If, if, you're, if you're watching this after the fact, so you're not watching it live, just skip ahead five minutes um, and we'll actually start five minutes from now. Right now, we just logged in five minutes early and we're just going to talk to everybody in the chat. So normally so. every week we do have a community spotlight for the first 15 minutes, but this week, uh, we, because we were at the Canary Roadshow last week, we didn't, we didn't get a guest plan for this week. Um, but if you are interested in being a member of the community spotlight and kind of hey, coming on the show, got, reach out you'll to have, us. Zach, you'll have to do that again. Yeah. I will. Okay. I will. I will. Let's yeah, not sorry. do anything formal at all. Let's oh, just yeah, talk to everybody in the chat. Let's just do okay. that. So right now, Rafi Welcome said, Hey, up. what's up guys? What's up, Rafi? My man. Hey Rafi, you need to send me a one of your hats, man. Yeah. You notice back here behind me, I've got um, I've got the uh, I think I've got PLC next, and I've got Tatsoft back there. I need to get one of your uh, need to get one of your um, hats. Uh, my... Yeah, we're, we're we're all open to the swag, Rafi. Don't 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 not just Dude, I. I have a Quantair engineering hat. I just I, I went and looked for it. I think it might be in storage right now. But I do I do have one. Okay. I'd love to have one. I, I yeah, I see Pie Guys on here. How's it going, Pie Guy? Um is, is it Pi like 3.14 or Pi like no, P I P I E guy. P I E. Yeah. Okay. He's uh hey, so one of the things I want to talk about actually. Hey, how many on here? I'm listening, uh, engineering hat coming up. Thanks brother. Appreciate you, man. Um, I, yeah, Rafi, I'll wear your, I I'd love to wear your hat, man. Actually, I'd liked your hat a lot. Is that Zach, you wore it at ICC one year, right? I did wear it at technically this was Rockwell automation fair. Oh, but right. I did, I did or go to too many I, shows. I, I did. I did interview Rafi at ICC, uh, in 2018. So that's all oh, right. And the man. police busted you. You got busted. <laughs> It was that that was that show, right? Um, it was a good show. All right, so yeah, just for everybody who's in here, right? Hey, Mason, how's it going? We uh, we just decided to go on a couple minutes early and just kind of hang out. We'll we'll actually start the normal session at you know the top of the hour in three minutes. But I was like, hey, let's just jump on and say hi to everybody. Daniel Hirsch, hey guys, I hope you're all doing well. I am doing well. This last week was a really crazy week, so you notice I haven't been in Discord or anything. I've been burning the midnight oil burning the midnight oil where does um, that expression actually come from it comes from the pre-industrial days actually so oil was very expensive so um you know oil lamps it was expensive so you wanted to conserve you would go to bed early as soon as the sun went down because you didn't want to burn the oil late when you to say the term burning the midnight oil what it means is is what I was doing working late was so important that I, I spent money burning uh, oil to do it. That's what it means. It, it as, comes as from the pre to using as opposed to using daylight. Correct. From the pre-internet days or the post-internet days. Yeah. Failing night watch on a Royal Navy ship. Yes. Sure. That's a pre pre-electricity days. <laughs> hey, how many, how many people, um, uh, how many um, 
people on here do VR? Like, uh, with what, one of the things that we've been doing our whole team, we bought, um, VR headsets. Hey, Dan, how's it going? Dan Reichen. Um, we bought VR headsets for our whole team, uh, Oculus quest twos, uh, because they're all wireless and standalone. And, um, many of us have been testing with immersed VR. So I've been doing most of my work in immersed VR. So when I'm actually programming or, or writing proposals or whatever, um, uh, I, I actually go on immersed VR and, um, and actually do my work in a completely immersed environment. Same thing with another one of our engineers who's been doing it all day. So he basically is immersed all day long in a VR environment. Um, but I use immersed VR and I'm, I have a, um, I have like a personal account or something, but I, I'm telling you, man, with the new, the latest release does the keyboard overlay. So now you can sync the keyboard overlay just by hitting shift space bar shift. And then you just hit P Q and R or P Q B with your right index finger. And then it automatically lines up the virtual lines up the virtual keyboard. And now you can see your hands. So when you look down in VR, you can see the keyboard so it's like and mixed, your hands. Mixed reality. Yeah, which makes it well, it's not the real one. It's virtual. It's an overlay. But right. the 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 sensors, the visual sensors have it lined up. Uh, I recommend it. I recommend you guys to give it a give it a try. One of the th reasons I love it, immersed VR allows you to create virtual desktops. So I don't have to have five monitors in order to ha to have five desktops. I can I can create five virtual desktops. But all right, um, we're a minute over. So Zach, go ahead and do the the intro. Um, if you guys haven't, if you're not currently testing with VR, I highly recommend you you do it. There are basically three apps that you want to try. The first two that you want to try is an app called Engaged, which is for presentations and stuff. Really, really cool. You can build like complete virtual VR presentations. And then um, the uh, uh, Immersed VR for doing your work. And then Pi Guy, what is the name of the Pi Guy and I do VR together? Pi Guy, what's the name of that app that we used so that we could like watch TV together? Big screen. Um, uh, blue screen. Or what big, is it? No, big, big screen. Big screen VR. Yeah, big big, screen, big VR. screen beta is the third app where you can you basically can share your computer desktop with someone else, but it it's high quality enough where you can like watch YouTube cooperatively in virtual reality. There you go. Thank you, Pi Guy. That is pretty awesome. All right, go ahead, Zach. Let's get started. So let me do my spiel. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Industry 4.0 community live stream. So glad you guys are all here. And we do this every week at Tuesday at noon central. So make sure to hit the like button for the YouTube algorithm, which we pray to every day, morning and evening. Do we? And also get subscribed so you get notified when we go live. Um, we're answering your questions. And we got a lot of questions today. Normally we do a weekly kind of community spotlight, but today we do not, we don't have, uh, we don't have that planned because last week we we're at Canary Labs. If you guys missed that Q and A, that's a really good one to watch. Um, but anyways, today we're gonna be answering your questions. Quick plug for our sponsor and our mastermind program. It's this Friday and we're gonna be building a digital MES. We're gonna be teaching our mastermind members how to build an MES and leverage the UNS. So if that sounds interesting to you guys, click that link below, sign up for our mastermind program. And you know that this helps make this possible. So without members of our mastermind program or men members of our mentorship program, which you can also sign up for uh, the waiting list, which we're gonna be opening up our mentorship program again in June. So thank you guys again so much for making this possible. Without any further ado, uh, thanks so much for being here. Kick it over to Walker Reynolds. Hey, how's it going, guys? All right, so a couple uh, housekeeping things. You guys may have noticed I haven't been on Discord this week. I actually have. I've been reading the conversations. I haven't chimed in because I've been grinding. Um, I'm currently doing three digital transformation maturity assessments, um, and I'm and uh, and I'm supporting architecture on a couple of projects. So this last week we did the the Canary Roadshow on Monday and Tuesday. It was awesome. Um, so Monday, uh, I did like a hour and 22 minute, uh, presentation with, um, with a bunch of integrators that were, uh, attending, um, the Canary Roadshow. Um, Jeff Nepper from Canary Labs. If you guys watched last week, we were there on Tuesday. We did a live stream from the Canary Labs Roadshow. And then 
but Monday I did like a, a presentation um, on digital transformation. And really what I talked about was like the integrator of the future. That was a, a big piece of what I, what I discussed. It was actually really awesome to, to get to set through the advanced track. So if you guys that Canary Labs is like going all over the country, uh, I think they're doing one roadshow every, is it every month, Vaughn, or are they doing it every quarter? Does anybody know if it's every month or every quarter? I haven't gotten confirmation on it yet, but I think he was wanting to do it every month. Right. Isn't it? They're going to go to Chicago or something in April, right? Or, or where are they, where are they doing it next? They're going to be in Phoenix next. Phoenix. So if you guys want to come. Um, right. And they're going to, you know, I'm, I might be in town. So that's in April, right? They're doing, they're doing Phoenix in April. Absolutely. Correct? Yeah. Yep. All right. So, um, so they're doing Phoenix in April. So that'll be like a vertex in May, you know, David, Vert David Schultz said in May. Oh, in May. Um, so they, uh, there were, there were like, um, six or seven members of the community that actually came to the show, came to the Canary Roadshow last week. Dave Schultz was one of those guys there. Kevin was another one that was there. Um, and, um, well, I mean, I referenced David <laughs> directly, right, but right, yeah. the, uh, the, uh, and yeah, doing Chicago in the fall. Um, if you do the Phoenix one, that'll be like a big, you know, Vertec will probably have a, a big, um, presence there. Um, because Vertec and Canary Labs, Vertec uses Canary Labs for their historian as well. Um, but if you get a chance to go to one of those roadshows, I highly recommend you do. Um, the, I, it was definitely, um, so the, the Ken, who is one of their developers was there. And, and if you do the advanced track, it actually gets pretty technical. I mean, gets right down into the weeds. Um, and, um, especially centered around like MQTT support, do a lot of talk about their web service and stuff. So it was, it was really awesome. Jeff and those guys at Canary Labs were you know, very gracious hosts. Um, I, I gave a fairly controversial presentation and my whole goal was to like rattle people and went in and, you know, get everyone's attention. It was one of my more controversial um, presentations, but it actually was received really well. I'm surprised I didn't get any, negative feedback which i'm to be honest with you, i'm really shocked that not a single person pushed back but go ahead zach oh, i want to give a shout out uh it's i don't know if it's confirmed yet david you can let us know but there was talks about david potentially giving a speech at the next canary road show so you know i wanted to give him a shout out that's pretty awesome, awesome that, yeah um all right so let's go and uh hit our uh let's let's go over uh, get to our questions so no community spotlight this week, just some general updates. Uh, Matt Paris has reached level 10. Um, he's the first, you know, non per, uh, he's the first person to reach level 10, right? Zach? Second, second after Mario. Okay. Second person after Mario Ishikawa. Well, and, and my, myself, obviously. And Zach. Well, Zach is cooking the books. So <laughs> um, did, we have over 1300 members in Discord. We passed 8,000 subscribers on YouTube. In fact, I think we're at like, we're, we're basically adding like 200 subscribers a week right now. 8,200 right now. Yeah. We're, we're basically adding 200 a week at, at this point on YouTube, right? Yes. Um, and then Zach already mentioned this, but for all you members of Digital Mastermind, um, we have our session this Friday, 8 o'clock central. Um, a, uh, Zach, make sure Christian Head, he put a question in the chat. Make sure I answer that one. Um, we, so if you're members of Digital Mastermind, this Friday, 8 o'clock Central, we'll be doing our monthly session. Vaughn, we scheduled three hours, right? Yes, I did. All right. So we, we may not go three hours, but I, in, you know, in all likelihood, we probably will. So uh, the title of this week's session is Digital Transformation, Building Digital MES Capabilities for Your Industry 4.0 Proof of Concept. So what we'll be presenting on is how to use MES capabilities as your proof of concept while you're implementing your UNS architecture. So, uh, and we'll be focused on MQTT with Sparkplug B, but that's what we'll be presenting and teaching on this week. And without further ado, um, I'll get to the questions. Let me go ahead and answer Christian's question right now. So Christian had said, Hey guys, I'm currently working on the governance risk and compliance side of cybersecurity. And I was curious if you had any recommendations on how I could transition into the OT ICS sector. Um, thank you. So I'm actually, one of the questions I'm going to answer kind of touches on this. 
And I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna focus on this subject for quite a bit. So I will circle back to your question, Christian, and and talk about some of the challenges you'll face. Okay. Um, all right. So 4.0 solutions Q and A. Uh, Matt Paris, congratulations. Uh, I don't know if he's on, but uh, Matt, congratulations. You advanced to level 10. Uh, I think faster than anyone ever has because he's been highly engaged uh, on the Discord server. Um, he's creating a ton, a ton of value, like yeah, answering people's that, questions. and Yeah, so Matt's definitely a guy who gets it um, in terms of uh, um, the architecture. Um, is anyone using Factory Talk Solution Center? Um, I have. Not impressed. Um, it, it's it, it, it's it's if I'm in a like a factory talk ecosystem, it, I, I would like Solution Center. You know the greatest product that factory that uh, Rockwell ever created um, is Asset Center. So Factory Talk Asset Center was their by far their best tool they ever created. If you're like a Rockwell, um, if you're a Rockwell house, Asset Center was amazing for um, managing. Uh, program, PLC programs, firmware in your PLCs, et cetera. It was a awesome, awesome internal tool. Um, here's the list of people who are in, in their levels. So Zach is at level 16, Mario at level 12. I don't even know what the levels mean. I just know you get credit for providing value. The bot oh, like basically gives you points. I wanted to I explain people how it works though on the previous slide. How, how do people gain XP and how do you check your rank and such? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so every every minute that you are uh, messaging, you randomly gain between 15 and 25 XP. And to avoid uh, spamming, earning XP is limited to once per minute per user. Uh, so basically, if you do want to check your rank, do exclamation point rank. And if you want to check the leaderboard, which is on the next slide, you can do exclamation point levels. And uh, it's, it's a pretty cool way that we found, you know, it really... It really helps drive engagement. And so we really thought, you know, we wanted to share. Some of you guys were asking, how does this even work? That's how it works. Awesome. All right. Question number one. Um, Mr. D, the, this is going to be the question I spend most of my time on. Um, I think there's maybe eight or nine questions I'm going to answer today. Yes. It is sad that Rockwell needed a tool to manage their software accurately. <laughs> exactly. Dowdell. Uh, Michael Dowdell. Um, yeah, Asset Center was a really, really awesome tool. I lo absolutely loved it. Um, it. Nowadays, it would be like, you know, it, it's pointless now, but it, it, it was my favorite tool, favorite Rockwell tool they ever created. I was not happy with the pricing for it, though. Um, all right, so hi, Zach. If it's not too late with questions, um, I've encountered a few CIOs recently where I have difficulty explaining how their current cloud data warehouse containing ERP master data, CRM, supplier data, fits into a UNS architecture, unified namespace. Their view is that they already have the one source of truth in the data warehouse, and they want everything to be stored there. Therefore, it does not see the need to create a UNS. I would appreciate if Walker could give some ammunition to push back. All right, so before I get into my, my little presentation on this, this is a very, very common challenge. So when you guys hear the term IT, OT convergence, right? What does that actually mean? Um, the, here's the problem with digital transformation. And I'm going to offend people here, and I'm sorry if I offend you if, you know, if you're one of the people I'm going to be talking about. But if you're an IT professional, okay, so if you're the chief information officer, chief technical officer, and um, you have no experience on the plant floor, that means you've never worked in operations. You don't know what people do on the plant floor. You don't know the challenges that they face. Um, you're not qualified to do to lead digital transformation for your organization. Here's why. And, and by the way, the operations person who has no experience on the carpeted side of the business, who doesn't understand the compliance and security requirements for IT, is not qualified to lead digital transformation either. Right? It's not that the IT is the enemy. ITOT convergence is all about taking the existing infrastructures you have in place, which are really bifurcated. You have, you know, the infrastructure of your business and most of your applications managed by information technology. And then you've got your operations managed by OT, 
whether that's the controls group, engineering, maintenance, et cetera, managed by a completely separate group. They both have their own needs. They both have their own requirements. They both have their own rules. The reason you have IT OT convergence that are divergence, the reason IT and OT are separated, there's really only one reason. And that is because the policies that IT put in place to restrict the access to data and connectivity, those restrictions that they put in place don't work for OT, right? You can't, you wouldn't be able to produce anything effectively enough if you had these, if you took the IT rules and applied them to operational technology. So therefore you, what you do is you create two sets of rules, one infrastructure that's owned, you know, one infrastructure that is owned by the information, the IT group, and one, one infrastructure that's owned by the operations group, right? So to answer your question, in order for me to answer your, your question, I have to show you what the reality is today, right? So right now, if, if, if this is every manufacturer, there's some type of cloud infrastructure, ERP, MES, SCADA, HMI, PLC Edge, you have two sets of ownership, right? The IT group owns um, some or all of the infrastructure. Infrastructure is going to be like switches and they could own something like this. That is, they own everything that gets you all the way down to the HMI. They could own everything that is the hardware when we talk about infrastructure. They get you all the way down to the SCADA system and now the OT group has their own switches and network and things that they own that IT has no purview over, okay? Um, same thing with data and applications, okay? You have infrastructure, which is the switches, the wires, the fiber, the actual infrastructure that's owned by two separate people, okay? And you also have data and applications. You have applications that are actually data and applications that are owned by IT. So when the, the to answer your question, when, he, when they say, well, we have a data warehouse that contains all of our data, they are blind to the, all the data and the operational technology that they're not aware of. Okay, they're, they're blind. When they say, we've got a data warehouse where we're storing everything. No, you don't. Okay, you're storing things you're aware of, things you control, and you're, and you're storing some select data from the operational side. In order to successfully digitally transform, you can't have this segmentation, All right? So number one, these have to converge. You have to create a new group and that group can't be run by IT and it can't be run by OT. It has to be run by industry 4.0 professionals. And an industry 4.0 professional is someone who is fluent at every layer in the stack. They understand what goes on in the PLC, what type of data is there. They understand the kind of stuff that's created at the HMI layer at the SCADA layer, at the MES layer, at the ERP layer, and at the cloud layer. Right now, you've got people who understand the stuff inside ERP in charge of everything. Okay, they're in charge of everything. And the, the IT professional, the CIO who tells you they already have a single source of truth is the person who does not understand all the things they're missing from down here. All right. So where is the data? All right. Where is the data? So let's start at the edge. If, if we agree that the CIO understands the, the stuff highlighted in yellow, okay? They understand the stuff highlighted in yellow. Before Zach yells at me, let me zoom in. You're welcome, Zach. All right. So the, the IT professional owns the stuff in yellow, okay? They've started to play with the stuff in the cloud. Why? Because they're the ones who developed a relationship with, um, with AWS or Azure, right? And so they, they can speak relatively knowledgeably about the stuff that's in the cloud layer. And they know the stuff in the ERP layer pretty well. The, the IT, the CIO does. They know what that master data model is. But let's go ahead and take a look at all the things you need for digital transformation. So you've got information down in the PLC. You've got automation control, okay? You have the logic, the actual logic, whether that's a, a specific function, function block or an add-on instruction or a UDT that's running inside the PLC. That, is, that has data and information that's important to you, okay? 
you have abstraction tags and registers. By the way, anything that's not highlighted in, highlighted in yellow is stuff that the CIO is not fluent in. They may be aware of it, but they're not fluent in it. Okay. Um, the abstraction tags would be things like if I'm dealing with a um, think of, think of an abstraction tag as a tag that doesn't take any action. It's a register inside the PLC that is an abstraction layer. It's a I'm taking a raw value from this sensor and I'm and I'm running it through a function block that turns it into something more meaningful and output to a scaled value. The abstraction tag is the are the elements inside the function block that store values but they are they're they're part of the transformation process of the data. That's what an abstraction tag is. Uh, in a, a really good example here, like in a slick, would be all of your B registers that you, you that you map all your I/O to, your discrete I/O to, um, for all the process control. So I may have an input that comes in, I map it to a B register, I do all my control with the B register, and then I map it from the the B register to my output. You used to see this type of mapping in slicks all the time. What I just said to you right now, the chief information officer knows nothing about at all completely ignorant to it. They have no idea what that means. They, they, and therefore they do not understand that that data is provides value to the organization that is digitally transformed. Okay. So to answer your question, how do you overcome the objection from a CIO? You have to reveal to them all the data they know nothing about. Okay. And it, and, and, you know, they may tell you to get out of the office. They may say, listen, who the fuck are you? Get out. And you may have to leave, but that's not going to change the fact that they don't know. They are simply not qualified to, to lead digital transformation initiatives. The people who lead digital transformation initiatives are the people who are fluent in all data. And because your infrastructure looks something like this, okay, the things in blue, the people in the IT group know nothing about. Nothing about it. Literally, they're they're blind. So they go to Azure, they go to AWS, they, they go to Microsoft, they go to Amazon, and they say, I want to unlock all the data on the plant floor. Amazon and AW and, and, uh, and Microsoft say, yeah, we've got just the thing you need. We're going to put a new gateway out there. We're going to collect everything in our, in our IoT edge solution, and we're going to stream these digital threads to the cloud. And what do they miss? They miss all the things at the HMI, the SCADA, and the MES layer. So what data do they miss? The digital thread miss. They miss all the machine control, the individual machine events. So an operator pushes a button on an HMI. That's an event that is considered dark data that no one sees. That generally we have a local historian running on the HMI. Our alarm history, what alarms are being managed inside the HMI that are not exposed anywhere else if the alarm definition lives inside of the human machine interface and it doesn't live inside the plc and it doesn't live inside of the data warehouse that the cio is in charge of then you are either not going to get the alarm definition and the alarm history or you've got to put it someplace so you can retrieve it the unified namespace is the place that you put that so you can retrieve it all right uh, data acquisition. So this would be information on our collection of data from the edge. HMI context. Sometimes in the HMI, you have raw sensor events and values and the scaled sensor event and values. Uh, the, chief, the chief information officer or even the, even the, the digital transformation director who gets hired, who's almost certainly from the IT department, they, they, if you ask them, like everybody, every engineer on here who writes PLC programs, um, you know, so I can guarantee that Mario and, and Dave Schultz and Matt Paris and, you know, most of the members of this group understand that raw sensor events are always inside the PLC. But the scaled value, the raw value is in the PLC. Okay. It may, it may end at the IO. It may end at the input card and may get scaled at the card itself, or it may get scaled inside the logic in the PLC. Sometimes it may get scaled at the HMI. You may The HMI may consume the raw value 
and scale it at the visualization. Sometimes that happens at the SCADA layer. It doesn't happen at the same place in every application. Okay? Your CIO doesn't know that. But guess what? The scaled value is important. And it's not, and you're not taking the scaled value. You may not be taking the scaled value from the PLC or your edge device and streaming it into a data warehouse. I guarantee you're not, actually. These are all things that the CIO does not know. Okay, Michael Dowdell said, talk more about fluency and expert. In my case, I know where all the data is or should be, but I do not have the same expertise with SAP or Oracle that I have with PLCs, HMI, Skater, MES. That's why you need a team, Dowdell. Humility. Humility. Uh, one of our core values is humility. Um, at Intellic and at 4.0 and all my companies. Humility is you have to know what you're good at. What am I an expert in? I got to know those things, right? But more importantly, I got to know what I'm, not, what I'm not good at. And I have to surround myself with a team who's good at the things I'm not good at. Right? There, I, I mean, I have very high fluency at every layer of the stack. Okay? I'm an expert, certainly, at five of these layers. Maybe six of them. The, the, the place where I'm the least expert is at the ERP layer. Because I didn't want to kill myself. Right? Working in ERP sucks. So... But my team, I have members of my team who are absolute expert level at the ERP layer. So to answer your question on how do you overcome the objection to the CIO who says we already store all the data events, what you are the events in our data warehouse, what you need to do is show them all the stuff that they are not storing. Right? The, the, they, they are aware of the things that are highlighted in yellow. The ERP's got your master data model. How is the business organized? The financials are in the ERP. Planning, scheduling, sometimes. Sometimes scheduling is in the MES layer. Bill of materials is almost always in ERP. What assets I have, what, how is the business organized? All the ERP context, all the confirmations, the events from the ERP live inside the ERP. And they're probably storing that stuff in a data warehouse. At the MES layer, you'll oftentimes you're storing work, you have all your work order information, your recipes, quality inspection plans. The schedule can also live in the MES system. Overall equipment effectiveness lives inside MES almost always. All your manufacturing events. When did work orders start? When did they stop? What were all our when, what were all the individual downtime events? Our rates, scheduled rates, standard rates live inside the MES system. Sometimes they're downloaded from the ERP, sometimes they are not. Scrap codes, all the MES context. So what was all the actual manufacturing events? Those things live inside the MES system, okay? Unless you have a, unless you're connected to all these things and unless you have a mechanism to normalize all these events and you, to get them into your data warehouse, there is 80 to 90% of your pertinent data you're not even storing, okay? So to get back to what his question is, which is, sorry. I've encountered a few CIOs recently where I have difficulty explaining how their current cloud data warehouse containing ERP master data, CRM supplier data fits into a UNS architecture. Okay. Their view is they already have the one source of truth. The answer is they are not, they do not have one source of truth. And you got to show that to them by showing them the things they don't even store. Okay. Really important stuff they don't even store. All right. Uh, Taylor Turner. All right. So what I wanted to say, I'm going to answer Taylor's question real quick. We're getting ready to shoot a video. Taylor sent me some private messages too to go over machine learning, but I wanted to highlight this on the predictive analytics side. So Taylor said, from what I've seen with non-configured PA tools, predictive analytics tools, Azure, AWS, Wonderware, InTouch Edge, which is Indusoft, by the way, the most simple notifications just require the data itself. What he means is, uh, say I want to do some predictive analytics of some failure. Really what it's doing is it's, it's essentially monitoring a single data point and then um, creating a distribution. And then it is alerting whenever you're, you know, one and a half standard deviations out or two standard deviations out of the mean from that data point. That's, the, that's your basic pre-canned, non-configured pr predictive analytics tool. That's what he's saying here. So the PA system looks for values larger or smaller than one or two standard deviations away from the nominal running value. 
This is incredibly valuable to analyze any type of machine process data without configuration. It's just, you know, plug and play. It's quick, right? The main drawback is that the maintenance context is lost. So did I, you know, I replaced this bearing. I didn't replace this bearing. This was the actual failure as opposed to this is just a, a raw data point. But the maintenance operator manager can be notified that the amperage consumption of a VFD at whatever location has been high for two days and show a trend to help understanding. So, the, but the real question is, how does predictive analytics that are just baked into tools and machine learning that we implement with the UNS work with all of the data points that the system has access to? Is this an additional function of the Python script that was mentioned um, on the live stream for calculated data? All right. So before I move forward, our goal, once we create a unified namespace, that is the structure of the business and all the events, what we do is we take we use that structure for the ERD in the data lake. So what we do is we stream the unified namespace to the data lake, all right? And uh, we stream the unified namespace to the data lake. And for each leaf node, so each of the end endpoint nodes that have a value, there's going to be a record in a table inside the data lake. Where we what we use machine learning, machine learning really serves two purposes. Okay. Purposes purpose number one, and this is your your first test or your first foray into machine learning, is to I want to test a hypothesis. That is, I believe that there's a relationship between this value X and this outcome Y. That is uh, the temperature of this bearing, the temperature of the bearing, and, and whether or not the bearing fails, there's a relationship between the two. And I can take that value X and I can store it in a data lake over time. And then I can give an input Y, that is the bearing failed. We had a failure at this point. And if I have enough data to look at, what the what a machine learning algorithm could do is i could i could train a model that could identify a pattern in the bearing temperature that would give me the likelihood that the bearing is going to fail within the next month 95% certain that we have we're going to have a failure in the next month therefore let's go ahead and change the bearing at the next shutdown so that we don't have a cataclysmic failure that is machine learning use case number 1 it's the most common. I want to predict some type of failure so that I can schedule the repair as opposed to just having unplanned downtime. The real value in machine learning. So in order to do that, in order to do that kind of thing, I only have a couple of data points that I need to get into a data lake and, and, and create a model for, right? The real value for machine learning is not in testing the hypothesis of a relationship you've already identified. The real value of machine learning is to, a, is to come up with the hypotheses that you should be testing. Machine learning can identify relationships between data points that you may not be aware of. The, 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 the first step is, I know there's a corollary between these two data points, and therefore, I want to use one to predict the other, right? That's your standard linear regression. But the real value of machine learning is to be able to find relationships between data points you have not already found. Okay. Um, and, we're, and, and when I get into the video, when we, we shoot this video, I'm gonna, I'll highlight this more in the whiteboard video, which is the real value of machine learning is coming up with the hypotheses you need to test. Mm. And in order to do that, you've got to collect all data points because you don't know which ones have relationships between one another between one another okay um all right let me go to the next well, one. i wanted to make sure yeah there's too many possible low value targets and relationships that the human being could never possibly analyze them all so for the high value targets hey we've got this gigapress that you know is our most expensive piece of equipment clearly we want to do some type of PA on that. But what about all of the other smaller value targets? That's where you're saying the real value of machine learning and AI is to be able to know what models to actually even build in the first place. Um, all right, C-Break, are there any CAN standards popular in factoring or building automation? Modbus RS485 still seems 
to be popular with sensors, probably because it's simple and there's a standard, but wondering if CAN will ever move into this space as it has a lot of advantages. The answer, my initial answer here, and I'm going to get to one of the community answers here in a second, is, um, you know, for those of you that don't know what CAN bus is, um, inside your car, like if you, if you go and push the volume button on your steering wheel to turn the radio volume up, that that's being communicated from there's a module in your steering wheel that the the physical wires from the switch go to you've got a can module there that then communicates over can bus to another module that the radio talks to okay so can bus is the communications protocol between module to module okay it's essentially serial communications but it's standardized so i can create a module to put inside my car that would do some other function to talk to another module, right? So my first inclination here is that serial communication, the individual serial communications itself, that type of field, but you know, CAN bus is basically a field bus, right? So if you take, uh, what is it? The, uh, whatever IO module it is, I can't think of right now. They will, you know, from, um, you know, from module to module, you will talk over some type of serial bus system because they can be incredibly fast and they're incredibly standardized. They're easy to integrate with. But the reality is, is that you don't communicate context over like a field bus, a field bus. You communicate events, inputs and outputs, but you don't communicate context over those, the, the field buses. So Joel Messina did answer. And he said, you know, hey, we make a CAN open controller. You can see this link. This is at Phoenix, Phoenix Contact. BACnet is very popular in building automation system platforms with anything from security systems to air handlers. The reason why is because, you know, think of it this way, uh, like in an elevator, when you have your, your buttons that you push on an elevator to tell the elevator where to go, you have many different ways that you can automate that. But a really efficient way is to have a module behind that push, push button panel that talks over CAN or BACnet or whatever to another module that then tells the uh, the elevator, the motor controller to turn on and it, it'll talk over BACnet to the the security module that tell, that that's checking all the devices um, for whether or not a human being is obstructing the elevator as it goes up and down, right? Mm -hmm. in, in, auto, in, in plant or in process automation, that the process, processes are a lot less standardized. And so therefore, field bus communications are often limited to very specific processes. So like, um, they're limited to really standardized processes. Things like, you know, a, a steel, a, a rolling mill, for example, is a really good example. Like in steel, in the steel industry, in a rolling mill, that is a very, very standardized process. You have, you have roughing stands, you have finishing stands. The way that the controllers all communicate to one another, no matter what steel mill you go to, no matter who owns that steel mill, they really interact exactly the same way. So they all talk over field bus. That is from the, the brain out to the IO is over a standard field bus communication. It's not can, but it is, it is field bus. So the answer, my initial um, answer is, only in really speci very specific processes are we, I, I don't even know if we would ever see Canvas because I don't know if it's hardened enough for industry. But um, those modules are 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 going to be smart devices. Like if you look in a Tesla, you know th that that device has a processing unit on it, and and there's context that we're going to want to get out of that, and it's much better to get that over something like TCP/IP and MQTT. Um, Ahmed asked the question. Hopefully, I answered that question well enough. Um, Ahmed, my American friend, simple question. I got a request for Iconics Genesis 64. Where does Iconics would it be compared with Ignition, Wonderware System Platform, SciTech? All right. Iconics is, would fall somewhere between System Platform and Ignition. Okay. I, Genesis 64 is a great tool. Um, I've tested the Iconics HMI SCADA software, I love it. Um, I, it is, it is open 
doesn't support Sparkplug B natively, but you do get MQTT support. Um, Iconics is, but Iconics is really, if we're on, if we're looking on a gradual scale, okay. Iconics is an OPC partner. They're, you know, they're a Microsoft partner. They, they, they do it better than Rockwell. They're they start out solution centered, but they're far more open than Aviva or Rockwell is, right? Um, whereas if if you looked at Ignition, you know if, if if Rockwell is on the far right and Ignition's on the far left, right? So if you look at the factory talk solutions are on the far right, and Rock and Ignition's on the far left in terms of openness, Iconics is going to be left of center, but just left of center. Um, it's solution centered because they have a lot of pre-canned solutions right they do they they support digital threading that's what they use actually is digital threading for all of their objects but they but they are um they are far more open than factory talk like they don't they don't um make it very difficult for you to create um uh interoperability between the iconics platform and anything else you've got in your plant that being said, you know they they standardize on OPC UA. That's a big deal. Um, they uh, have some suspect pricing. I mean, any, any let me say this: if you go to anyone's website, if you go to a solutions website and you can't download the solution and test drive it, um, and you can't test drive it for free without talking to anybody, and you don't see published pricing, then um, you need to ask yourself, why is it I can't download this for free? And why is it the pricing isn't published? You should ask yourself those questions. And that's the case with Iconics. So Iconics Genesis 64, good solution, left of center. Um, it, you know, it's it, the, the reason we end up not integrating with Iconics is because there's a better solution out there. And that's Ignition. Ignition is better. It's more open. The, I, I could see a scenario where I'm going to use Iconics, and that's going to be um, where maybe I make Icon I, I make Genesis 64 the center of my ecosystem. I'm not sure why I would do that, but I could see a scenario where I mean I could I could create a lot of value for a client using it. Um, but again, you know, I, I'm not that well versed on their business practices, and you know, we did. I've tested it. I liked it. I was relatively impressed. But I, I can't see why I would end up using it. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm going to put Ignition or Factory Studio in its place. You know, 99 times out of 100. Joel Messina, Crosser.io. Has anyone done a good review or know about Crosser? All right. So to answer your question, oh, if you want to know more about Genesis 64, you can go to Iconic's website. Um, one of the things you might want to take a look at is, you know, they have. A, a lot of great published documentation, but go ahead and take a look at how they they integrate with MQTT. Um, uh, you know, in the Genesis 64 platform. It, at the end of the day, it's not a bad solution. It's it's overpriced. Um, it's it's one of those companies that you're going to have to do a ton of manipulation to get best pricing. They're just not. You know, their business their pricing isn't open. You can't test drive it for free. They make, you know, they, well, you can test drive it for free if you talk to somebody. But, um, you know, I just can't see a scenario where I'm going to end up using it. But it doesn't mean it's because it's a bad platform. It's just, it's not as good as the other things that are available. Um, all right. Uh, Crosser.io. Uh, this is just like the other solution I looked at the other day. Um, so I did, I looked at Crosser in June of last year. Uh, this is just, think of this as another, um, you know, this is a mom and pop Azure or AWS solution. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, same thing, not public pricing. Can't test drive it, you know, without talking to somebody. I mean, again, the, I, I would, I would suggest, I would think that they've got um, suspect business practices, if that's the case. In this day and age, if you can't test drive the software without talking to a single person, then you're dealing with the wrong company. Go ahead, Zach. Uh, Brant in the chat said getting data to and from PLC to SQL database was easier with Ignition than Iconics. That's because, yeah, and this is a good point. Um, Iconics isn't, uh, Ignition was originally, you know, SQL tags and what was the other thing they called it? 
uh, SQL tags and uh, factory SQL. Yeah, factory SQL. I mean, it, it, the original vision for Ignition was get all of your process data into SQL and then use a basically a Java front end to work with it, manipulate it. That was the whole idea with Ignition initially. That's why so SQL, Bri yeah. SQL Bridge was one of the very first modules they ever created. I mean, it was like module number two. And Vision was, you know, this Java amalgamation. Um, Crosser.io, to answer your question, it's, it's basically mom and pop Azure AWS. Uh, how, how is 5G going to transform manufacturing? It's not until we get rid of the Purdue security model. Um, but um, to answer your question, you know, 5G will be the technology where we share data across the plant. Um, but, you know, you're not going to see 5G inside of facilities um, until IT departments move away from the idea that, um, you know, the acquisition of data, acquisition of data is going to be server client as opposed to edge driven. Uh, Mason says, question about the organizational philosophy of the namespace tags and tag groups. From the examples I've seen, it seems there are many redundancy of tags. The same tag exists under many tag groups. What's a good methodology to organize the namespace without creating undue work or painting yourself into a corner? Depends on what type of tag you're, you're uh, talking about. Um, with, uh, depends on what kind of tag you're talking about. Um, I don't necessarily understand the question completely, Mason. Uh, David Schultz, during the Canary Roadshow, Walker referenced an architecture that used InfluxDB, Telegraph, Grafana at the edge with Canary Connector for Enterprise. Um, I referenced this in the general chat. I asked Jeff Nepper about it. He seemed to think Walker meant to say Canary at the edge. Since his lab uses TIG for a display, uh, how exactly is this configured? I'm not aware of any collector from Influx to Canary. The Canary module does not work with Ignition Edge. I want to talk about two things. Uh, the reason the Canary module does not work with Ignition Edge is so if you look at the original Chirp module, Mason, I will, um, uh, I'll have a separate conversation with to answer your question. If you look at the original Canary module, the one that um, you know we wrote a couple of years ago, we were the first ones to, to do it. We worked with canary to get it done we didn't want to do it we wanted ia to do it but they wouldn't do it so we said we would do it our module did had two mechanisms for collecting data uh number one we used the native primary history provider um method inside of ignition to take tag events and create a primary history provider to provider called canary so that we could then stream over canary's web service to Canary Labs historian, the receiver would receive the data and then they would store it in the historian. That works for non-Ignition Edge stuff, okay? The reason why is because Ignition Edge does not have primary history providers, okay? Ignition Edge doesn't have SQL Bridge. So because it doesn't have SQL Bridge, it doesn't have primary history providers for you to store the data in a SQL database. So what we did was we also had a second functionality that allowed us to select tags basically by their hierarchy. We could say, take everything that's in this folder and we want you to store it in this data set in Canary Labs Historian. That didn't use the primary history provider. They basically tracked the tag events. And then what we did was we published them to Canary over the web service. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead. If you start writing functionality that kind of mimics what the historian would otherwise do on Ignition Edge, is that getting into an area where Inductive might be mad at you? Or like, yeah, why I mean, would they limit the functionality of the Edge? I mean... Well, I mean, okay, so Canary, uh, Ignition costs, like, I don't even know what, $20,000 now, right? You know, let, uh, let's say Ignition Pro is like twenty grand. Redundant, with, redundant or? Yeah, it's like 20000 with perspective. No, no, perspective. that's... A, a single single license with perspective. Yeah, it's dang, it's getting expensive now. All right. And Ignition Edge is like a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred bucks or whatever it is, right? And originally it was, you know, they had like a five hundred tag limit, blah, 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 blah. The idea was you wanted to be able to take ignition and use it as an HMI on a machine. And so if you're gonna put ignition, like an installation of ignition out on a machine, 
you don't want to spend $20,000 for that. You want it to just be an HMI. Well, if you're going to do that, you have inductive automation said, well, we have to, we don't want to damage the pricing of our existing tool. So we won't include SQL bridge. That means if you, you know, we're not going to allow you to connect to a database because as soon as you do that, you know, you would make ignition edge would be really, really friggin' powerful if you could connect to a database and and store tag history. You everybody would be going to ignition edge. You know, you'd have to buy 20 ignition edge installations or or at least 10 of them before you got to one ignition, you know, plant uh, level gateway. So part of it was a business decision, right? Hey, we want to make sure that we want to make it so that the only reason you're using ignition edge is for like line level, um, line level uh, HMI, or you want to do it, use ignition edge for data acquisition and send it to your big ignition system. We don't want you using any of the big ignition capabilities on the edge. So Got part it. of it was a business decision, right? With the Canary module, what you need to understand is that the original Canary module did work with Ignition Edge, but you couldn't do, use it as a primary history provider. You just basically would say, take the tags in this folder and I want you to send them to Canary. So that's how we used to do it. We turned over the full development of the Canary module, uh, I think a year ago, to Canary Labs. Once they were ready to be able to write the module themselves, then we turned over the development to them. And they are, they, got rid of the folder part. So you just use the history provider component now. All right. As a, as a, 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 a canary, you can set up canary as a history provider instead of selecting the directories. The reason we had that functionality in the module originally was so that you could use canary labs as a historian on the edge with ignition edge, because that was the type of pricing we were looking for. All right. So I want to answer the, for David, the actual architecture. So this is um, this is how I do it on the board behind me. Okay, so I'm on the board behind me. I have a bunch of PLCs. A couple of the PLCs support MQTT natively, so they publish all their tag values into the local broker that's running on the board behind me. A couple of them, a couple of the PLCs don't support MQTT, so I've got a. I'm using the CMT SVR with the native drivers to pull the PLCs and then I convert their tags into uh, MQTT Spark Plug B and I publish them to the local broker. I have InfluxDB, Telegraph, and Grafana running on that board, okay, on a Raspberry Pi actually. So this local broker and uh, InfluxDB are actually on the same device. They're on a Raspberry Pi, okay? So the local broker uh, transmits the all the tag changes to InfluxDB. I use Telegraph for two things. I set up a publish on Telegraph that publishes the history back to the local broker. Okay, so now what I've got is time series, I think like over 30 minutes for each data point, is transmitted using a Telegraph event to this local broker. The local broker transmits to our Enterprise broker, the enterprise broker is connected to the Canary historian in the cloud. So on the board, if I want to see history, I go to Grafana and I do all my trending for only the values that are on this in on these PLCs on this board. But the history that gets generated, so if Grafana is used for visualization, Telegraph is the connection mechanism between the InfluxDB time series database time series, NoSQL database, and the local broker. And then the local broker transmits the full namespace as each event change happens. So, you know, the, the 30 minute of history is updated every one second. That's transmitted to the broker up here and it makes its way into Canary. So what Canary ends up getting is all of the raw events here, plus the we're actually historizing the history from the influx DB on the edge. David Schultz, did that answer your question? I'm assuming Dave's still on. Any questions, Zach? Uh, no, looked like Mario answered uh, Mason's question, but David said yes. Okay, cool. Um, thanks, David. 
Uh, all right, last last question. Uh, Randy Lasovsky. Randy Lasovsky. There we go. Hey guys, I was wondering if any of you have deployed Ignition 8.1 yet. Um, doing a very small edge product and was not sure if I use 8 or 8.1. Use 8.1. Uh, I think we're at 8.1. See what version we're at now. Is it 3? Anybody know? I know we're at Factory Studio 9.1.9. Uh, yeah, 8.1.3. Oh, uh, by the way, we need to remind the community about this Thursday. Uh, yeah, 8.1.3. Uh, so yeah, use 8.1. Generally, I wait until we're three or four minor releases in um, before uh, I move to the to the uh, the next major release. So 8.1 was the major release. 3.3 is the third minor release. I generally wait until we get three or four minor releases in before I make the move. So I would use 8.1. That's what we're using now. All right. So let me stop sharing my screen. So let's talk about Thursday. So one last thing before we're done. If there are any other questions you want me to answer, please drop them in the chat. Here we go. Uh, Mark Tacolini was here at our offices yesterday um, showing me the latest release, uh, so 9.1.12, I think, or 9.1.11 of Factory Studio. And we spent all of our time working on remote tag providers. So the Canary, um, David Schultz, I'm sure, are, you know, the, all the folks that were at the Canary Labs Roadshow last week got a chance to see the new connector. Um, so now Factory Studio can use, um, can treat, can, can treat, Canary Labs Historian as a remote tag provider. Same thing with MQTT Broker. Really, really cool. Um, we focus most of our time on the MQTT Broker side. Um, and then we put together a couple of like uh, to-do lists. So there's an auto discovery feature in, in, with an in MQTT Broker inside of um, Factory Studio now. Really cool. But this week on Thursday, I'm going to be... Um, so Tatsoft has been doing this. It's a weekly LinkedIn live stream, right, Zach? Yeah, yeah, every Thursday. And they moved it to noon. So it actually kind of mirrors our Tuesday at noon. I, I believe it's the same time. Is, is it noon CST, not 4 p.m. CST? Oh, That's wait, correct. That's correct. Tolgar told me that they moved it to noon. Okay, so we'll be doing it noon uh, on the Tatsoft LinkedIn page. Um, but Mark and I are going to go over some of these new releases. He's actually going to be doing the wide rollout at 12. You'll be able to download the new version, I think, starting at 12 o'clock on Thursday. Um, but we're going to go over some of these new features. Looks really, really cool. Love it. Uh, Christian had, I'm going to answer your question. So what type of position should I be looking for to break into the ICS industry? Or is it a better idea to start with Sansert? Seems like there's no entry level roles to learn. What you need to be doing, Christian, is um, where you need to end up is on a because um, Christian is the guy who's the uh, he's in compliance and security for IT and where should he end up? Where you really want to end up is you want to end up on a digital transformation team as the IT liaison. So each when we're when we're engaging with a new client, we create a team to do their digital transformation initiative that starts with the proof of concept. That proof of concept is when we're implementing the architecture, right? We're designing the architecture we're implementing it. One of the members of that team is a IT liaison. They are the person who's tasked with communicating to IT and jumping through all the IT hoops, um, the things that the digital transformation team needs to make possible, whether that is a new custom rule within the IT infrastructure for any DT node, so any industry 4.0 node, there may be very, you may just have a, a rule called you know, the digital transformation rule, and, and it's going to open all the ports. This node has all these ports uh, opened outbound, has these ports, you know, um, has permission to talk to this server infrastructure. The where you want to end up is there. Okay, that's the team that you want to end up on. The best way for you to end up on that team is to, is to you need to acquire fluency in industrial control systems, not industrial control system security, but in industrial control systems. You need to understand what's in the PLC, 
what is in the HMI, what is in the SCADA, what those functionalities are, what capabilities live there, what data is there. If you want to, if you want to be a super valuable IT person, then learn industrial control systems. The place to do that is, you know, you can do that through our mentorship program, through our mastermind program, but there's lots of other places that you can do that. You can learn about PLC programming and SCADA development and, you know, what is an IIoT platform. You can learn all those things, you know, through Udemy and through, um, you know, Codecademy, you know, uh, there's lots of places that you can do that. But if you want to be like the super valuable IT person, and you want to set yourself apart, then you need to become fluent in control systems. You know, what are the capabilities? You need to know, you need to be able to speak knowledgeably to the, to the director of North American IT who, is, who has forged some partnership with some sales guy at Microsoft. And has, he's basically offloaded all decisions to Microsoft. And he's in the dark. He couldn't speak knowledgeably about anything. I can't tell you how many of these guys get on meetings with me and they, and they, they, these like corporate IT guys who get on these meetings with us. And when we get into the IT meeting and they're get and they're showing us the same bullshit PowerPoint presentation, they've been sh showing the executives and the executives don't know any better, but we do. So that line of bullshit doesn't work on us. We're like, well, what about this gap? And what about that data gap and this capability gap? And how are you getting data from here to there? The executives aren't asking those questions. They're blind. They're ignorant of it. You need to be the IT person who can, before they get on the call with me, before they get on the call with the architect, you are the IT resource who asks that question because you're fluent in that technology. Okay, that's that is what's missing in the IT departments for most manufacturers. It is people who have experience in operations and understand the challenges and what data is missing. That's if you want to be the really, really valuable IT professional, become fluent in control systems because those people don't exist. They just don't. You don't need to become another Cisco certified IT professional. Those are a dime a dozen. Become the IT professional who can speak knowledgeably about operational technology. Truly understand it. Man, you'd be making huge money. Um, all right, cool. Uh, any any questions that I, I missed, yes. Zach? Yeah, um, no, uh, IT and Automation Academy said, Zach, uh, love the unboxing video. If you guys do want to send us IT, uh, IIoT product to review oh, and review? unbox, it's not extra to have Zoe part of the video. It's it's part of the deal. So we <laughs> <laughs> just learned to ride a bike yesterday, right, Zach? Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, and um, and this Friday, we're going to be learning how to build a digital MES. So, you know, there's that too. Anyways, guys, thank you guys for joining. We'll see you guys on Thursday for the Tats Off live stream and Friday for Mastermind. Appreciate, appreciate you guys. Take it easy.